Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up on this episode of White Wine Question Time. The poodles were so late that we went on at two. And that was the point when the jam was supposed to be on. So everybody coming into the theatre expecting to see the jam. They saw these punces <laughs> in a jam coming on to, to entertain them. We got howled off. <laughs> in Downton, when I left Lady Edith at the altar, yes. uh, I, I had some vicar came up to me and said, how could you have done that? You know, all that. And I thought, you know, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. <laughs> they always say at the end of an obituary, they, he leaves three children by his first marriage or whatever. And his, in that one, as penned by him, he said, he leaves uh, two unwritten books and a circle of detached acquaintances. <laughs> Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a star of stage and screen who went from life as an always-in-work jobbing actor a household name in the late 90s after his brilliant portrayal of hapless David Marsden in the award-winning comedy drama Cold Feet. Born in Ghana in 1957, where his father was working as a management consultant, the family moved to Ireland when he was two, and it was there he attended boarding school before moving to school in Sussex, and then on to Cambridge, where he studied law, which is where he became part of their world-famous student comedy troupe, Footlights, working alongside the likes of Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry, Emma Thompson and Jimmy Marville. After graduating, he was qualified to work as a barrister, but instead went on tour with Footlights for a year in Australia and upon his return, never practised law. Instead, 
he started working as a stage actor, going on to make his television debut in the never-broadcast pilot episode of Blackadder. In his 20s, he had to make up fake credits on his CV, shows like The Odd Thing and Loads of Tosh, for example, which to this day he still uses alongside some rather more impressive real ones, including Downton Abbey, Red Dwarf, Joking Apart, Doctor Who and even Posh Bloke in Westlife's Uptime Girl video. Now 66, he has four daughters, all grown up with his wife, the artist Victoria Threffle, and they live together in Sussex, although he's spending rather a lot of time in Soho at the moment, and Geoffrey Bernard is unwell, playing one of Soho's most notable and notorious locals, with shows that have featured Saturday evening performances that start at midnight, followed by a traditional Soho lock-in until 5am. Blimey, let's find out how he's faring in the face of these all-nighters. It's Robert Bathurst. Good morning to you. Good morning, Kate. Lovely to see you. Were you doing a Soho lock-in last night? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a lock-in. I did two shows last night. Last night was Monday night. And so we, uh, yeah, I did two sh- shows at seven and nine. And uh, But no lock-in. No, it, it finishes very tastefully at 11 o'clock. That is rather tasteful. Certainly, <laughs> Geoffrey Bernard was not known to be in his bed much before midnight, was he? But I did get dragged off to Jerry's Club, actually, by some oh, people who had been at, been, at the, uh, been at the show. I'd never been to Jerry's Club. I mentioned Jerry's Club in the show. And, of course, it was one of the uh, Jeffrey Bernard's uh, regular watering holes, along with the French pub and the colony room and everything like that. He always started his day at the Coach and Horses, which is where I do the show. And, uh, yes, these people in the audience I'd never met before, as is in, in the proper Soho manner, said, go off to Jerry's Club. And so I went off to Jerry's Club. Uh, for the first time, and they made me a member. So, uh, so that's respect. Uh, that's the beginning of my downfall. There we are. That's really the beginning of the end, Robert. Um, <laughs> explain to us what Jerry's is, because you know those that, that have frequented the the mean streets of Soho may well have heard of it, but there's many mm-hmm. that won't. It's a basement in Dean Street. I think it's just done from the French, and um, very friendly. And it's got a little sort of glittery stage there. It's, it's green painted walls with lots of photographs of people who've uh, maybe uh, <laughs> left their livers there. And uh, and uh, it's uh, it's a, it's a very convivial um, bar. That's what it, that's what it is. And it's not dissimilar from when I did Toast of London. They did a. Uh, a mock-up of what they call the the Colonial Club, which is a mock-up of uh, a mixture between the Colony Room and, and Jerry's. And it has the same green paint as the Colonial Room, Colonial Club and Toast, which I'm very pleased to see. I think that's the most fragrant description I've ever heard of Jerry's, because my understanding is is it is um, a late-night lock-in for those that never want to go home. And what goes on in Jerry's stays in Jerry's. <laughs> I, ga- I gather that is the rule, and I'm sure it's adhered to completely, yes, indeed. And no journalists from the Times can get hold of any stories in there because they stay in. I think, um, you know, I had a friend, an actress friend of mine, Denise Welsh, who um, literally was probably like, you know, one of their most frequent members. I do believe it was there that she met her husband at 6am on the dance floor. I mean, they're (laughs) sober now. They don't go to Jerry's, but obviously fond memories. (laughs) That is the the beginning of a fine relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It actually was, but the the beginnings were auspicious, to say the very least. Um, speaking of auspicious, Jeffrey Bernard. I mean, mm. 
This is a hell of a piece of work because originally this was, uh, this is the Keith Waterhouse play. It was norm- It was originally staged with Peter O'Toole taking the role that you play as, as Jeffrey, but with three other cast members. And you've, you've shrunk this back and stripped it back, not for the first time, to be a one-man show, not played in a theatre, but played in the pub at which he propped up the bar every day from the moment it opened, really. Um, how did you end up walking in Jeffrey's shoes well, James Hillier, um, the director, and um, uh, he adapted it for, for one person. Um, and in November uh, 19, uh, arranged with the then um, uh, public in there uh, to, uh, to put it on in the pub. The play was always set in The Coach and Horses. Keith Waterhouse, the playwright, took uh, pieces from Jeffrey Bernard's um, articles in The Spectator. He, he, wrote, he wrote an article called Low Life. And uh, Alexander Chancellor, commissioner, who's the editor of the Spectator, commissioned uh, Jeffrey Bernard to write it because he was genuinely low life in the sense that uh, not low life in the sense that he was genuinely on his uppers because he drank it all and spent it all, and he needed to he needed to sort of hack it out by writing, get, keep keep a, keep some sort of a living going. He was also a, a writer for the um, Sporting Life. He was a great racing correspondent. So, but he wrote about life in the gutter in Soho, and for fifteen years he managed to do this somehow. Managed to do this weekly piece for the Spectator, a piece described by Jonathan Meads as a fifteen-year suicide note. <laughs> because it was, he was, uh, and it was, it was so true. It's probably a construction of himself he was writing. But it's uh, so. What Keith Woodhouse did was he he collated stories from the low life pieces. And managed to and, and and set it in the coach and horses on stage with Peter O'Toole initially doing it with oh, I think it was four or three or four actors doing scenes from his life the cat racing and the and all those other sort of uh, things like that. And, cat um, racing, I think that uh, might require some some explaining. Well, cat racing does feature in the uh, in the in the play, in the version that I do as well. And so what so what so anyway, he's cut it down to an hour, and we and we do it actually in 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 the in the in the coach. Yeah, I mean the cat racing is uh, one of the features. It's a sort of interactive piece with the with the audience, um, and uh, it's uh, it's because there's no racing. It's too hot, too cold for racing. So some louche figure comes into the pub and says. Come, come racing in my flat in Battersea, and he's got this big flat in Battersea, and he, and he races cats in it, and we, we managed to do it in the pub um, uh, with, um, with. I mean, it sounds exactly like the sort of thing that daytime drinkers do, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the sort of thing that seems perfectly normal to daytime drinkers. Exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so yes, it, it, it was originally a, a stage, um, a full hour, one and a half hour stage show, which we, uh, which James Hillier has reduced to the to the hour. And I just go on my own and uh, and uh, do it uh, twice a night. Twice a night. Very well, it's, it's it's an hour. It's an hour, and then you get an hour off in between. And uh, it means I pop down to see people who come to see the show. I can't sort of hang around with them and uh, do I mean, too long because there's another audience coming in um, within half an hour. But uh, you're in the run now, and there are. I mean, I think it's pretty much almost sold out, isn't it, Robert? It's it is it is selling out really. Uh, it does sell out very well. But I mean, it's. Um, and it's an occasional thing. I mean, it's, uh, it means that I've got it in my back pocket, as, as it were, to do when and if in between jobs I can arrange with the producer, we can arrange uh, to, to go to the coach and do 10 shows or whatever like that. So it's going to be, it's an occasional thing. And, and uh, I, there is a site where I can, I can give you just so that you get first call on, uh, on, on any um, uh, development of the show and when it goes on. So there's a thing called Je- uh, jeffreyplay.com. You go to that and you can register for that and then you get first notice as to when the next shows are going to be. So it is an, it's an occasional gig and, uh, and it seems to go really well and, and I just adore doing it. 
I mean, you, you, you won't hear many stories like his anymore. I mean, he would be so cancelled in this day, this day and age. There's no way that he would have retained employment. Um, I mean, this man was... Gosh, how can I describe him? I mean, pretty awful in places. He was. He, you wouldn't want him as a husband. Um, he was a chronic alcoholic. But yeah, there was such affection for him. How did... How did What's your observation of how he managed to pull those two things off in tandem? It's very complicated, really. I mean, he he um, he was married four times. Uh, there was a lot of damage along the way, I think. And uh, but women were were drawn to him so, somehow. They all wanted to change him. Uh, yeah, I think until his fifties, he was a very attractive man, and then suddenly his lifestyle caught up with him. I mean, he died with one leg. Um, mm. And living well, alone in a room in Soho, didn't he? I mean, that was his preference, by the way. But um, up until his 50s, I think um, he certainly had the looks and the chat to pull it off, didn't he? Well, absolutely. I mean, he, he, I mean yes, he was, he was extremely witty and so. But, I mean, the show is, in a sense, a, a celebration of Jeffrey Bernard's writing before 11am. <laughs> <laughs> come, come opening time. He would be off to the coach and on his circuit to, to, to all the other watering holes. And then people would come into the coach, say, at two in the afternoon and f- try and find him and, and then go up to him. And, and knowing, their, knowing his articles, knowing how witty and, and, and uh, um, how, how he could be uh, expecting him to be the same sort of person as he was in his writing. But, and they, they were generally seen off and, and, and very disappointed. Because uh, he he was uh, when he was writing he, he was uh, he wasn't quite the same person that he was writing as he was writing. He used to write semi sober. I mean, he used to write have a have a vodka and orange to to, to, to in the mornings. But uh, uh, it it was. But he would write relatively sober. And there's so many people in Soho who who hang around and they get very drunk and they wonder why they can't write. And and I think the key to a lot of the real soaks of of. Uh, of Soho uh, is that they write they, they do write sober I mean they do write so semi semi together and then and then they then they then they get sunk um, but there's a lot of people who get sunk and then wonder, wonder why they can't write but so 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 he is yeah I mean he they, you say incorrect I mean he's of his time perhaps but you might say mm. but I, I did put out a trigger warning uh, on the show which is ironic because everything has to have a trigger warning now in case people are offended and so I, I, I put out a trigger warning which the Daily Mail took seriously and they rang up in a great high dudgeon saying why are you putting a trigger warning on it anyway uh, the trigger warning I put on the show was that this show contains references to smoking gambling alcohol and sex and uh, and uh, and um, the mail rang up and said why, why are you doing this and I said well I'm just ironically just putting out four perfectly legal adult activities uh, which uh, which uh, uh, some people find shocking. I said, but most shockingly of all, the show also contains humour. Anyway, so so, so they, they they printed that. <laughs> uh, so the, finally, the Daily Mail got irony. Uh, but uh, so the show is, yeah, it's fairly fairly raw at times, and it's all. But it's also about self destruction, about self determination, about about somebody who's damned that they're going to not be t- or going to be told how to lead their life. Mm. And um, and he uh, and he did what he the way he wanted to do it. He was a diabetic and he didn't take his insulin. He did end up with gangrene and lost half his leg and was wheeled off between the various things. And used, people used to wheel him back from Groucho, from Groucho's at two in the morning and take him to his flat. And yes, it was. It was a it was a um, very sad and desperate end. But he I mean, he lived life as he wanted to live it. And um, okay, and there was, of course, as he says in his in his piece, he writes a mock obituary to himself, which I recite in the play. 
And uh, he said, uh, and they always say at the end of an obituary, they, he leaves three children by his first marriage or whatever. And his in that one, as penned by him, he said he leaves uh, two unwritten books and a circle of detached acquaintances. <laughs> uh, so, so that's uh, and, and he sums his life up uh, very well and, and very honestly. And I love the fact that you kind of pop this in your back pocket as a one man show that you can bring out whenever you need it in between gigs and jobs. Um, so you're really making his work work for you now. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, in, the, in, the, in the tradition of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, hustling. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which takes me very nicely to my very first question for you, Robert. Um, hustling, that is. Um, can I dive in? Please dive. In your early 20s, you landed a job as a television presenter on a show that was watched by 18 million people and would have made you not only very well known, but probably more importantly at that time, very well paid. And the job in question was to be one of the co-presenters on That's Life with Esther Ranson. But you turned it down because you said, I knew if I took it throughout my life, I would have been in these sort of interviews and I'd have been marked down as one of Esther's boys. And at that stage, I knew I wanted to act. And I knew that if I took it, it would change the perception of everything I did for the rest of my career. So I turned it down. Now, that is a pretty ballsy decision, especially for somebody who's gone on to describe acting as um, an existence of weekly disappointment and constant despair. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder, what gave you the strength of conviction in that no at a time when there was nothing else on your table to say, this is a smart decision? I, well, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, no reflection on Esther because she ran the show and I enjoyed uh, going through the audition process with her and, and it would have been fun to do. Um, and she ran this hugely successful show, which has uh, had an audience far beyond anything that anyone could ever dream of. 18 million, Robert. Yeah, today. But yeah, I, now I look back on that and I think, yeah, well, well done. Because, um, yeah, I did. I had, I had, um, yeah, I felt, yeah, I knew well, precisely what, yeah, as, you, as, as quoted there, I, I knew that if that would be the end of what I really want to do, which is what sort of what I'm doing at the moment, in, you know, which is, which is um, not, is, is, is acting. And I think there is a difference between acting and presenting. I know now uh, notoriety is everything. And, and you can, the important thing is to be seen in anything it, up to a point, uh, and which you know, I don't hold it completely, but it's, it's, it's how things are. And so, uh, it, but in in the environment then you were you were much more in in one track, um, and uh, the acting and and presenting would have well one would have swamped the other, yeah. and uh, and and I and I knew I wanted to do what I do, and I knew I felt I could feel I, I had no real taste for presenting, and um, I mean I loved it. I mean I enjoyed doing the the audition and and it was it was fun and i enjoyed journalistically sort of writing up a, a piece and presenting it to camera and all that but um I, but i it was such a powerful beast that's life mm. that i i couldn't see the future uh, that would not always color everything i did in the in the context of being in that show so um yeah it was a very sort of mature uh, uh, uh foresight of this decision it may be may or may not have been the right one i don't know but uh, and who knows how life would have panned out if i if i had taken it so what year was that and how old would you have been and where were you at in your professional I, it life it was then? about 1980 um 82 i think it was maybe to 80, 81 but uh it was uh yeah i'd i'd left university and 
was doing, I did the law for a year and doing shows all throughout that time and, and through that amp and then did a radio series and then um, a comedy series and sort of, you know, that was all that was going on. So, I did, so, so yeah, to, to, to be offered that show, uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and then, yeah, then I went into Noises Off, which was, um, uh, did a year in Noises Off. And I, was, I sort of thought, oh, thank goodness for that. You know, I'm sort of doing, doing theatre. I mean, you know, and at the end of the year, I only had two words on my CV. Uh, and, uh, and so I went and held a spear at the National. And I, I literally had one line for four months in, in uh, St. Joan. Um, in, in my chain mail and and, uh, and 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 holding my spear, saying my one line, and 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 musing on the fact that um, I could have taken that's life, uh, and um, but I was happier doing that. And I was thinking, you know, holding my spear, thinking I could be opening supermarkets right now. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I never, never, it never worried me. I never, I never looked back from that decision. Um, but it would have been fun to have parallel lives and do 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 both. Would have been great fun. Well, in this day and age, arguably you could, um, but I understand that back then it was pick a lane and and stay in your lane. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wonder where that str- that that kind of courage of conviction comes from, because I mean, were you married at the time, or you with Victoria? Had that happened, or, or no, does this was, predate married life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was probably like twenty, twenty three, twenty four around that yeah. Uh We didn't meet. So I was uh, a couple of years later, or years later, but. Um, no, and there was nothing, uh, nothing settled. It was just instinct, really. I mean, and uh, and uh, I, I didn't have any other sort of income, and and I was sort of scratching around doing doing stuff. So yeah, there was. I don't know. I don't know what drove that. I mean, I knew what I know what drives it. It drives it because it's where I feel, you know, yeah. where I feel most comfortable doing what 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 I do, and uh, and it seemed to be a, a, a sort of a departure which um, I didn't fancy at the time. But uh, yeah, I remember at the at the audition. Um, uh, the uh, the the exec producer said uh, we're going to offer it to you, and I said, "Well, I'm not sure." He said, "Is it the money?" And I said, "Well, it's not that. It's and I couldn't really describe it because it was it's not something that he'd ever understand." Um, but I, I lied, I lied, I lied to St. Esther. I lied my way through the audition, saying how much I wanted to do it. I still, <laughs> I still, I, you lied to Esther Ransom. I lied to Esther Ransom. I know, I know, I know. But God uh, forgive you, Robert. And they gave me a story to 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 to, uh, to present in the studio with her, um, which I had to had to uh, I had to research and then write and present and and uh, it was all about the smelliest piggery in South Wales and I had to bring up the people in this village of Brith Wells I think I'm sorry for the pronunciation, and uh, and they all got terribly excited thinking they were going to be on that's life and I kept on saying that felt like saying no it's only my audition piece don't don't get so excited. But uh, I think anyway. So it, it all it all went through. I had several rounds of it, and uh, I was happy to leave it behind. But um, it it wasn't actually an option. It wasn't a difficult decision at all. Uh, but and for whatever reason, and I don't know what the instinct that was driving it was. But um, that's what happened. Probably the same instinct that so you qualified to work as a barrister, but actually never practiced it. So you had this this amazing fallback that should you ever need it was there. But you you've never been tempted to step up to the bar. No, I never saw it as a fallback. And and uh, but uh, when I went did my uh, interview at uh, university for 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 the for that place, um, I um, again I lied to my um, my then my soon to be uh, director of studies, a, a splendid, a really delightful man called James Campbell, who um, uh, supported me all the way through my uh, time at the university and uh, uh, my flailing attempts to to study law. And having said to him. 
it was a sort of it was a sort of an honor thing really because i i went to the law school in london for to do the bar, bar qualifications whilst i was doing lots of other shows right in the meantime um and just to prove to myself that i could actually apply myself to that to that task to that discipline and also to say to james yeah i did it i did it but don't i'm not going to do it anymore uh so there was there was an element of of that i also had no idea about drama school i had no in on that i had no um knowledge of of anything to do with the profession uh so all i knew was i wanted to do it and i was doing lots of shows university stuff but uh, i knew that wouldn't um sustain for for many more years after i left so uh, i had to find my way into into doing um doing plays and doing other things ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's talk about your university days, which takes me onto my next question for you, because um, you say you did some plays at university. I think they were slightly more substantial than you might be letting on, Robert. The Footlights Tour of Australia is the first, I'm guessing, professional tour that you, you took on, which saw you and a bunch of guys from Cambridge tour Australia in a show, I think, that was called Botham the Musical. Is that right? It was in 1981, and, and that we went in November, and that summer, uh, Ian Botham had done some heroics, especially at Headingley, uh, to, 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 to capture the ashes. And uh, we were touring, touring Australia, and so, <laughs> I mean, the show wasn't about anything. It had no theme, uh, and so provocatively, we called it, I mean, everything now is called the musical, but in, in, that, in those days it wasn't. We called it Botham the Musical. And of course, which confused all the um, all the the, the journos in um, in Australia. We were taken by a pop promoter. There's a, a spinny guy called Martin Bergman who was part of the, who set it all up and was in the show. Uh, he's now in Hollywood, um, um, in 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 California with uh, he's married to Rita Rudner, the comedian. And um, he 
uh, and he he set up the show. He had a relationship with a uh, with an Australian producer who normally did, who normally did uh, Moscow State Circus and Billy Joel concerts and all sorts of stuff like that. So we got that the sort of the pop treatment and uh, went all around Australia, everywhere apart from Darwin and Alice, to doing these shows, going on chat shows and living like kings, um, which wasn't uh, the the best introduction to the <laughs> to how the profession really is. But it was. <laughs> And we played all these huge theatres and, and we went all over Australia and it was uh, it was just huge fun. Yeah, it's great, really, really great fun. And that was two years. I was here. That was a year or so after I left. And um, and uh, we and yeah, we toured around. You're right. It isn't normal to step into a situation like that straight off the bat. But by that point, Footlights was a brand, I guess, in as much as people would pay to come and see the players of Footlights because of the, you know, because it was establishment, it provided um, a springboard for so many great careers. Who, tell me a little bit more about that time on the road and, and being treated like pop stars because you wouldn't normally go and sit on a chat show to promote a tour when you've got nothing on your CV, not even spear holding. <laughs> yeah, well, quite, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, the, the actual society, the comedy society from Cambridge has, has a tradition and from it for various people have emerged. Um, you know, it's all the sort of uh, half of the half of the pythons and and uh, and half beyond the fringe and things. So, um, and Stephen Hugh and Emma had recently had a huge success. I'd left before, and they'd had a huge success in Edinburgh the year before with their show. Uh, and so, uh, and and they were the, you know the next big thing on the block. And um, so, uh, and Martin and I and Stephen Hugh and Emma we and um, uh, we 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 did, we did the tour, so I mean the fact is we were we were very well promoted. I mean we were over promoted, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, they were happy to have us on the uh, on these network uh, networks um, chat shows, and and um, and and it 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 was a great. It seemed to be a great success. So uh, um, it was we had an absolute ball. But I knew I knew then um, also that I didn't want to hang around doing a review. Review. It was sketches. And it was songs and stuff like that. And I knew I couldn't see anybody over thirty-three really doing doing review sketches. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, the fast show is still doing sketches, and they're they're eighty-five. But um, it, uh, it's it's. Uh, I'll tell Ari you said that. <laughs> yeah, I tell him that. But uh, and um, so, but anyway, as far as I could see, that wasn't. I wasn't. I couldn't see the future in that, and I wanted to to, to get more into the sort of the mainstream swim of of um of of doing shows and plays and, and and things like that so i i didn't sort of carry on with that and uh but um but i uh, had this agent and uh, and then went went my way doing uh as i say doing doing play in the west end and then holding a spear and the rest of it sort of and and doing fringe theater and and uh getting myself onto telly eventually what did you learn from being part of that set because i think every generation has once in a while, a kind of petri dish of people that come together that are just formidable. And Cambridge really offered that, didn't it? Certainly on the comedy um, circuit, great comedic actors, not necessarily stand-ups, but people that went on to write, create, perform great comedy. Who who were your greatest teachers there and what were you taught by them? Well, you get nerve, actually, because you have to sort of... Um... You, you have to go and go stand up and, and sort of create something or be part of something in front of a very critical audience who mm. who uh, you get you get you get howled off um, and so you've, you've got to you've got to have that ability not ability that um, 
you have that nerve to, to, to sort of to, to, to do it. It's it's not not safe, uh, and uh, you you just sort of um, you expose yourself a bit. And in terms of uh, reaching the depths of ignominy when when things don't go right, and, uh, <laughs> and, and you get the, you get a taste for for what it's like to die completely uh, on stage, and uh, and and you uh, vow never to let that happen again. Uh, we did die comprehensively in, in various shows. We once went to um, the University College London Summer Ball in Gower Street, which uh, and we had a, a we were meant to be on at midnight. Uh, having done the show uh, up in Cambridge that night, and and so we came down to London immediately after doing it at the Arts Theatre in Cambridge, and, and came to do the ball in 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 at University College London. So being a ball, and this was nineteen seventy seven. 76 I think it was and um, uh, we did um, and being a ball of course we were wearing dinner jackets and bow ties and stuff like that but we hadn't quite realised that uh, that uh, <laughs> the zeitgeist had moved on shall we say in 1977 in in, uh, in, in London and uh, <laughs> so we, arri- we arrived at the uh, at the uh, smartly dressed in our uh, everything in uh, at the, in Gower Street to, to the University College London and uh, and we saw the poster which said uh, the fabulous poodles, which was a, a rock band of Ronnie Golden, and uh, the Cambridge Footlights, and the Jam. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd kept the poster. I mean, yeah, it would have been fantastic. But uh, and so we were meant to be on at uh, at midnight, uh, but uh, the food, the poodles were late. Uh, and I had said to Ronnie Golden, oh, "Thank you very much," because uh, and he uh, the poodles were so late that we went on at two. And that was the point when the jam was supposed to be on. So everybody coming into the theatre were expecting to see the jam. They saw these punces <laughs> coming on to, to entertain them. We got howled off. I mean, we just we got things thrown at us. We got things, I don't think we were spitting, but they were just, I mean, we, we got comprehensively smeared to the stage. I mean, it was just sort of, you know, just like, that. yeah. And we only lasted about 10 minutes. And Jimmy Melville at one point um, was saying, look, look, if you don't stop throwing stuff, we're going to just, and suddenly he sort of read them, so hail, came away. So, uh, and so when you've completely been rinsed uh, by, by, by an audience, you, you get, you understand what it's like, and then you sort of spend your rest of your career trying to stop that happening again. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so you no appetite to be the jams warm up again. <laughs> no, no, no it's just, uh, but uh, I do have a fondness for them uh, as a result. Of that. Across the years, how many um, times have your paths crossed with the likes of Jimmy, Emma, Hugh, Stephen that you were a part of of that Cambridge um, Footlights crew with? Well, I wasn't quite. I mean, they, they were they were a couple of years below me. I mean, we we got together and toured and stuff like that. And I do, yeah. I do see them. I mean, I'm, I'm currently only seeing Hugh at funerals now at the moment. But so so I seem to be bumping into him at such occasions. Um, and uh, the others, yeah, I mean, see Stephen and uh, um, and 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 Martin. I've just been in Los Angeles and seen seen Martin, and so uh, it was lovely to see him. But. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, they've, they've, they've taken their path, and I've taken mine, and, and uh, we 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 bump into each other like that. But uh, uh, so they, I mean, they went off and did a sketch show called Al Fresco with Ben Elton, um, and uh, up in in Manchester, um, and that was that was sketches, and 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 I, and then Jimmy was doing a thing called Who Dares Wins, and, and neither, and I wasn't, I mean, I was involved in Who Dares Wins in a small way, but. Um, 
it was sketches, and I, I really, I really wanted to, you know, to, to do what I do. And I remember Stephen ringing up, and I was doing a, I was doing, um, uh, I was doing a, 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 a in, in a pub theatre in Chelsea. I was in the late eighties. I was doing a, a two-hour monologue on cannibalism. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and I was even ringing up and saying, how's the world of tragedy? And I thought, oh, shut up. You know, just start stopping, so patronizing. I'm doing what I want to do. And uh, so, so, uh, and, um, so I, was, I was taking that path and that's, 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 uh, that's the way I wanted to go. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, time for my third and final question for you, Robert. Oh. I wanted to know what being the father of four daughters has taught you in an all-female house over these years um, about the difference between the two sexes. Oh, I mean, trouble is, I know no different. Um, <laughs> I, 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 uh, when my third daughter, our third daughter was born, uh, we, we um, I remember trying to get a bit of male influence in my life, and uh, and I, I. I I immediately joined the Brixton Snooker Centre. I don't know if that was maybe in a reaction to having a, but I mean, I, 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 is that, is that, was that your answer? So you were, I must point out at this point, all four of your daughters were born and raised to some degree in Brixton, oh, um, which, um, which, I mean, I, I live, I'm walking distance from there right now, Robert. I know it very well, but I'm imagining it was very different back then to the Brixton of today. Well, it, we moved in 85, which was just after the second riots. I remember driving through Brixton on 81 on that very hot night. And I was just going past the police station, all these people with masks. And, and it was all starting to kick off and people were throwing stuff. Um, and that was... But the, the, the 85 riots um, were less political, perhaps. Um, uh, Frank Johnson's sports shop got raided. Uh, I'm not sure that was political. Um, uh, uh, there was, there was, but there was still trouble. And anyway, we moved in shortly after those riots. And I said to my next door neighbour, um, "Was he affected by the riots?" And he said, "No, no, 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 no. They were two hundred yards away," which was. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and and it, it it was different. I mean, it has yeah, it has it has changed uh, a lot. Um, I'm speaking from Brixton, in fact. There we are. And um, uh, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed. It. I and and I adore Brockle Park and and uh, in a book club here and and uh, see lots of friends here. So, uh, but so you still to... you still are based in Brixton as well. Yeah, well, I I I, I stay here quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So Brockle Park, that's um, again. I mean, I was there just yesterday. Um, mm. I love it there. Um, but the scene of so many artists over the years. Um, you know, Adele sat there and wrote the first first of her albums, I think, in Brockwell Park. Is she right? Yes, um, yes. I mean, I think there's all all sorts of of, of, of sightings to be had in, in Brockwell Park. I mean, I love the the walled garden. I've learned so many lines yeah. in Brockwell Park, uh, yeah. and uh, I just I just go round and round and round trying to learn the lines. Uh, and uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a place uh, place I love really. I train in the the gym there alongside your yeah. friend of mine, Jimmy Nesbit. <laughs> Jimmy goes, does he? Yeah, right. Okay. Jimmy yeah. used to turn up in years and years ago when we first started going to the gym. Jimmy used to do that thing before gym wear was a thing. He'd turn up in what looked like old man sports kit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, do you wear that for the garden and the gym? It was that kind of thing. <laughs> One of those very baggy tracksuits with fleece on the inside. Or just like shorts with a bit of paint on that you might have done some decorating in. <laughs> right. 
Okay. Well, it was just a conversation opener, probably. I didn't know. Yeah, but it's um, it, it's it's a fun place to to live. I think I love it. I love it around here. Yeah. But I wondered what it was like raising daughters around there and then taking them off for a very different life in the country, um, at a certain point in in their upbringing, and also mm. just well, how have they educated you? Um, do you think about? I well, I'm not sure to be female. Oh, I can answer this, Kate. I mean, it's sort of um, it's it's it sort of happens. I mean, I wouldn't say, uh, yeah. I mean, I I can't really can make any sort of claim uh, for that because it's just sort of part of part of us, and and I I haven't sort of stood. I don't stand outside it and and look in. I don't uh, see what how life would have been different if I'd had sons. I don't see. Uh, I, I, of course, I see things through their eyes, and I see the the uh, the, the difficulties of, of so much. Um, but I know no different. I mean, I sort of it's just uh, it's just we just we just I've, I've never modelled how a family life and and how things should be. I've never um, sort of uh, had a had had sort of great plans and things like that. The only the, the trouble that problem is with the thing, what I do is I can never book a holiday and so um, it means that uh, we've never had a family life which with other families going on holidays and so many people have regular so they always go to a, a certain place and they always go at a certain time of year with a certain load of people which is which is comforting and, ref- and wonderful uh, in some ways uh, if it works and uh, and we've never had to do that so so it's always been slightly sort of ad hoc things are going on and, and so we've never had those sort of uh, that um that, that stability of, of of contact with you know people and gangs and so forth like that because of, i've been so sort of uh, freelance really yeah i that i do get um i suppose i i, I guess for me I, I'm, I'm raising a, a boy a teenage boy so i do a lot of driving to and from football matches for example and we get out of the car after maybe an hour's drive and there's there's three, four lads in the car. And then my mum, my son will say, why do you ask so many questions? I was like, mm-hmm. it was an hour's drive. I, it, it, it's called a conversation. Yeah, like, we, yeah, we just yeah. don't do that. Like, mm. I was like, oh, because a, a, a car full of women would have talked. We would have just talked. Yes, yes. I, um, this is very difficult because casual encounter, I mean, it's not something that, the English do that well. I mean, of course, the Irish, you can fall in and out of conversation easily and you don't mm. you have to invite them for Christmas, you know, which is what the English are always very worried about, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, well, what's going to happen if you speak to somebody for too long. I mean, I said to somebody on the train the other day, I said, is this train for Hastings? And he looked at me as, I don't know, he said, who? It was sort of, who are you? What right have you to ask me a question sort of thing? It was, it was, it was, I thought, oh, come on. You know, and so uh, the, 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 I, I, I love, I love, I like, enjoy. I love casual. I love casual encounter. I like. I like sort of shooting the breeze with someone just for a few minutes, and then, you know, and then passing parting ways. Um, and I think that, that that the art of 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 casual encounter is 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 lost in the in people's sort of sort of anxiety about about, about strangers and all the rest of it. Um, before I let you go, um, I just wondered. Any updates on a possible next chapter with Cold Feet? Because I know you're probably as keen as the rest of us to see them return at some point, aren't you? I, had a, I spoke to the writer, Mike Bullen, not so long ago. And um, I said, oh, come on. You know, I mean, the fact is, uh, I mean, no, of course there are no plans. But I, I, I sort of see that the, the 
sort of um, artistic juice in it, in the sense that there's there's 26 is the 30th anniversary or 30th anniversary, 30 years since the pilot. The pilot went out in 97, uh, but we filmed it in 96. And and uh, as 30 years on, I mean, it's sort of those characters, people have, I mean, we've, they've, we've seen us through and from our, some of us in our late 20s to some of us in our early 70s, you know, by that mm. stage. And uh, so it's it's uh, that's a, that's a long time to be to see how characters are, and it's sort of in a sense it's the sort of the the, the dramatic comedy the comedy drama equivalent of Seven Up. It is. Know, I was going to yeah. use that as a reference because I yeah. think Seven Up for anybody that doesn't know is um, a documentary that ITV, oh gosh, many 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 decades ago, where every seven years they would follow a bunch of people and update people on where they were at. Seven years on, seven years on, seven years on. And it was fascinating as a piece of television, as a social experiment. And I think we we're all so invested in, I mean, like, you know, when, when The Last Cold Feet came back and David had cheated and was with somebody else, I was really pissed off with you. I was like, <laughs> no. I mean, that's how much I believed it. Yes, yes. Well, uh, yeah, that is, it's, it's strange, isn't it, with the, tele, with the audience for television? Uh, there is the there is the uh, the conceit that it's it's real and you mm -hmm. try and engage people on stage. Of course, everyone knows it's rubbish. It's you know, everybody knows it's just you know it's not real. But uh, and you're being invited for the evening to believe it's real. When I did in Downton, when I left Lady Edith at the altar, yes. uh, I, I had some vicar came up to me and said, "How could you have done that?" You know, <laughs> and I thought, you know, it didn't take it wasn't me, it wasn't me. But uh, <laughs> it sort of it does. TV characters do strike sort of personally with people and people come up to me through, in the sort of intervene, intervening years of coffee before the next the last more recent outing of it people said well we caught it during that show it means a lot to us we we we, we, we uh, uh you know it was, a lot of it was about commitment and you know we we sort of uh, it was sort of open discussion of uh, discussion it was, it was an entertainment but it, it did serve as a as a marker for their for them for them and and in and their relationship in a, in a rather wonderful way I mean, do, sort of, do you know what it, it was and, and remains for me it's like a really good hour-long catch-up about your group of friends on the phone with one of your girlfriends on a sunday night and it would be like, like so what's happening yeah. so said then no way and then what he did not <gasps> no and that is an episode of cold feet for me it's like the best yeah. catch-up yeah. phone call ever yeah. with a group of friends that i'm not yeah. friends with but i wish i was oh it's really interesting and, and and at its best it can be funny and sad in the same sentence as well when, when yeah and that when that works, that was always its beauty. I think. Yeah, like yeah, I do. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's. I think I don't know what the network think, but um, I think there's a, a reason for for doing the sort of the third age of cold feet, if you like, uh, yeah. which doesn't have to be misery. I mean, there's so much about getting old, which, which uh, you know, people go sort of you know, in deterioration and stuff like that. But uh, there's also great, great warmth of association and and uh, and and humour to be had. Uh, which I think can be mined with through those characters. It may be. I mean, that's just me saying. It. I mean, I'm not writing it. So uh... well, surely a streamer would be thinking, "Well, if ITV aren't biting, I'm going to get in there." Uh, I think. I think there's grounds for it. I think. I think there's uh, there's a market for it if you want to put it in the cold in cold ways. But I also I think. Uh, I think artistically and creatively, it's there's uh, there's uh, there's there are things the, those characters, I say, have juice in them, and I think they could be uh, could be. Could be we could see them again, but you know it's not my decision. If only it were. If only it were. <laughs> if only it was you. 
Only, only it was me pressing that green light, Robert. Yeah, oh, green light yeah. You go and run a streamer. You'd be you'd be working to the grave if if I had my way. Trust me, a lot of you. Very happy. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's been my absolute pleasure to talk to you. And continued success with Jeffrey Bernard is unwell. There, as you said earlier, there will be more dates added if people want to follow the show or grab tickets for the show. Where do they sign up for updates and news? Uh, Jeffrey with a J, Jeffrey, jeffreyplay.com. And they will hear about uh, new gigs that are, that are coming on so they can jump in and book them before they go. Go and have a proper old school night out in Soho. You may even end up in Jerry's with Robert. <laughs> and good luck to your livers if you are. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. Love you. What a fascinating man he is. Um, and if you'd like to listen in on other episodes with fellow Cold Feet castmates, we've got John Thompson and the brilliant Faye Ripley in our back catalogue, alongside other great actors like Luke Evans, Alan Cumming, Jason Fleming's in there, Mark Bonner, Daisy May Cooper, Kerry Godleyman, Hannah Waddingham, and well, so many more. I'll be back on Tuesday with another treasure from the cellar. Until then, thanks as always for listening. Remember that you can always find us on Instagram. So go follow us at whitewine underscore question time. And also please hit the follow button on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.